Welcome to North Boston Korean United Methodist Church. Here we are a family that seeks to love others the way Jesus loves us and raise people up in his love. We're grateful to have you listen in. Regardless of who you are, you are always welcome here. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com. continuing through our sermon series. Um, I know that for those of you guys who have joined last week, thanks for joining last week um, on our website. All of this is actually going to be recorded and placed again on our website. Um, um, but last week we went through how how Jesus is, oh, we've been going through our sermon series on who Jesus says he is. And um, last week we went through how Jesus is God, how Jesus is creator, how he makes, how his healing is actually recreation. Um, in a moment where the whole world is falling sick, uh, we went over last week about how Jesus in his healing people, uh, physically what he's actually doing is he's completing what he's created. Um, and this new idea of healing and this new understanding of the power of Christ, that's what, what we went over last week. But this week we'll be going over how Jesus says he is the good shepherd in our Lent sermon series. So if you guys can turn your Bibles with me to John chapter 10. John chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. So I'll be reading from the ESV. Sorry, let me just... So Wesley's behind... Wesley, you wanna... Can you wave? Can you wave at them? That's Wesley. Wesley's the one holding up um, <laughs> this... Uh, sorry, I'm just passing him the Bible. Yes, yes. I mean, how is this gonna be staying up, Wesley? Come on, let's be real. Okay, thank you, Wesley, for being a quiet cameraman. Um, so we'll be going through John chapter 10 verses, sorry for throwing, John chapter 10 verses one through 18. I'll be reading from the ESV. Um, obviously we are not rising for the word of God, but we're taking that stance in our hearts. So listen carefully and you guys can even, I'm, all of you guys are muted, you guys can even read along with me if that helps you. Um, John chapter 10 verse one from the ESV. This is the word of the Lord. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him, the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. So Jesus again said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. 
The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay, my, lay down my life, that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay. Um, would you join me in prayer? God, I thank you for this time uh, that you've given us uh, to be able to open up your word and to be able to hear your word preached and spoken forth with our family all joined together um, in one space to be able to worship. How precious is it, God? How amazing is it that we live in a day and age where we can still worship together even if it's all online? And Father, in this time of social distancing, I pray, Father, that your word would pierce through hearts. God, I pray that your word would be like a double-edged sword and pierce straight through. Father, they are not here with us. They are not here in person. But Jesus, I just pray that you would move in hearts to be able to just fully, fully transform people. God, that your sheep would hear your voice. That your sheep would answer you and walk through you as the door that your sheep would grow intimate with you, that we would trust in the power of the resurrection of the cross. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. So this is a really, really interesting sermon. Uh, and I really, this sermon is gonna be a little thick, all right? But I'm gonna try to blow through it so that we can talk together and catch up and see what everybody is up to. Um, but first and foremost, we're going to talk about the context. So Jesus is continuing through. Okay, this is one trend that Jesus likes to do in the Gospel of John, okay? And the one trend that Jesus likes to do in the Gospel of John is break all the rules. Break all of them. Like, all of them. Um, and he continues to say really, really crazy things that ain't, no, ain't nobody can take during the most inopportune times. This time that Jesus is preaching is Hanukkah. So y'all know Hanukkah coincides with Christmas, but this, this time period of John chapter 10 is during the Festival of Lights. Now, Hanukkah, we always like juxtapose it with Christmas and like, dun, 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 with the dreidel and everything. Um, but Hanukkah is actually a very specific festival that has nothing to do with the birth of Jesus or anything close to that. Hanukkah is actually also named the Festival of Dedication. And it's about remembering how the temple was dedicated to God. Now, the significance of Hanukkah in the time of Jesus is that Israel has fallen and their leaders have failed them. And now they are just like a colony that has failed. Um, and this colony that has failed has now still this tradition of the festival of lights where they are remembering how the temple was dedicated to God. But at this moment, they're all asking themselves, why did God's presence leave us? 
how come our nation fell? Like as they remember how God had been faithful to them, at this point, they're like, where did we go wrong? And so the Festival of Lights, Hanukkah, refers a lot to Isaiah 34. And it refers, I mean, Ezekiel 34, and it refers a lot to false shepherds and false leaders that lead the ministry or the, the church astray. And so right now, the liturgy of Hanukkah has a lot to do with false shepherd language. And so Jesus's saying about how he is the good shepherd is actually really timely and it is really relevant to what, what the audience was going through at the time. And the audience is everybody who is a Jew who is attending the Festival of Lights. So if you can understand, it's like somebody barging in in the middle of Christmas Eve, Christmas Eve service or, or like Good Friday service and being like, I am the good shepherd. Like it's really wildly inappropriate. Um, but that's what Jesus was doing. Um, and that's, that's the context that this passage comes in. Now, why does Jesus use the shepherd motif? What is the significance? I want to talk a little bit about the imagery of the shepherd motif, too. Uh, this imagery of the shepherd motif is actually um, about spiritual and practical leadership. It's been used all throughout the Bible. I'm sure you guys know it's been used time and time again. I am the good shepherd. Um, pastors are considered shepherds. I mean, we've, we see this imagery all throughout the church all the time, and it has to do with practical and spiritual leadership. Um, God was considered to be the shepherd of the Israelites in the Old Testament. David, Moses, they're seen to be shepherds. Moses was an actual shepherd for 20 years because God had trained him to be the shepherd of his flock. Um, and so it's a very important motif about leadership. Very timely, very relevant during a time period where Israel has fallen, where they're remembering the glory days of Israel and like what like WTF went wrong, basically. Um, this context for me sounds very relevant because I think I ask myself that question every day when it comes to America, like where did we go wrong? <laughs> um, I don't know if you guys feel that way about right now, where did we go wrong? I think there are so many uh, moments where we might be able to ask that question, but that's the time of Hanukkah. So the breakdown, and I didn't, we've only read verses one through 18, but the breakdown of this chapter, I highly recommend that all of you guys go and read John chapter 10 on your own because it is a great story. Jesus is basically, he shifts, he shakes everything up. And I think it's a great story, but the breakdown of what's going on in this chapter is verses one through five, Jesus tells an initial story. In verse 6, they don't get it. So Jesus explains it more in verses 7 through 18. And then the Israelites, they get split in two, into two groups, people that want to kill him and people that want to follow him. And then Jesus defends himself some more, and then some of them try to kill him. And so he runs away. That's the whole chapter. You see, because what he's doing here is wild. Like wild, wild. It's like somebody interrupting President Trump to talk about something that's completely different. Like that person can get shot. That person can get taken down. Like what Jesus is doing is really off the rocker. Um, and that's what's going on in this whole chapter. But now that we've talked about a little bit about the shepherd motif, and now that we've talked a little bit about Hanukkah, and we've talked a little bit about the chapter, I, I want us to really think about what Jesus is talking about when he says, I am the good shepherd. Now, the point of Jesus saying that he's the good shepherd is to say that he's the real shepherd. He's the true shepherd, not a false shepherd. Okay. 
And so in this parable, we see that the purpose of Jesus calling himself the good shepherd is to distinguish between what is real and what is fake. And so that's what we're going to break down. How can you tell the difference between a false shepherd and a real one? Okay. The first thing, there are two things. Actually, let me, for anybody who's writing down notes, I'll write, I'll just say the main idea first. Jesus, the good shepherd, is rightful leader and willing sacrifice. Rightful leader and willing sacrifice. And those are the two things that we're going to talk about. So first thing, rightful leader. Jesus is, as the shepherd, the rightful leader. The shepherd owns the sheep. In order to say that Jesus is the rightful leader, he uses two points of imagery. He first says that he is the gate. He first mentions a gate. So there, there if you can, if we do reading comprehension with me for a second, those of us who have done um, discipleship, I, I mention that all the time. What characters are present here? There are three things that are present in the shepherd imagery, or four, four things. The shepherd, the sheep, the thieves, and the gate. There are four characters, okay? The thief, the sheep, the shepherd, and the gate. And the two imageries that Jesus uses, the two images that Jesus uses is the gate imagery and his voice imagery. Let's talk first about the gate imagery. Why does Jesus mention that he is the gate? Why does Jesus mention the fact that only the shepherd walks through the gate and everybody who walks up the wall is a thief or a robber? Jesus is assuming that everybody knows what this is talking about. But obviously we don't, so I'm gonna explain a little bit about that, right? So the context is, when sheep were herded during the nighttime, where do y'all go at, at night? After work or home, right now we are all in social distancing, but after work or home, all y'all go into your homes, into your beds, into your nice little rooms, and you lock yourself off with your family for the night, right? So it was the same thing with flock. At night, sheep were herded into walled enclosures that were usually up against a rock wall. And it usually had a gate that was up to at least waist length so that the sheep could not go past it. So sheep were like put into like these enclosures and they were waist high walls, at least up to the waist, sometimes even higher. And the walls were actually like, you know how you, there's like ivy going up a building? Have you ever seen like vines of ivy go up a brick wall? So similarly like that, there would be thorns going up the rock walls. And so that's, that's, that was the sheep's home. That was how the sheep stayed safe. And the gate was really important. The gate was, the gate was like their house. And there was only one small door that only one person can fit. And the shepherd used that to come in and out of the gate. Now, when Jesus, Jesus first starts off by saying, I am, oh, um, I am the good shepherd. I go in and out of the door. The watchman of the door lets me in. Anybody who climbs up the wall is a thief or robber. And the Israelites don't get it. So why does Jesus use this gate imagery first? He explains two things. The first thing is that gate, the gate is authority. Only one person has the authority and the ownership to walk through the gate. Only one person has been set apart to walk through the gate and everybody else 
If they try to walk through, it's illegitimate. The gate is authority and only the rightful leader can walk through. Then he says, he, he uses that imagery to say, I can walk through the gate because I am the rightful leader. But then Jesus takes it a step further in verse seven, he goes, I am the gate. Now, how does Jesus go from being a shepherd to being the gate? It's because the gate is two ways. When I walk through a door, right? When I walk through a door, I can walk into a room and then I walk back out. So when there's a gate, there are two ways that you can walk. You can walk in and you can walk out. But Jesus says that he is the gate and he determines who walks out and in. Now who walks out? The only way the sheep can be found is through the gatekeeper. Anybody who enters in without his permission is not trustworthy. So in this sense, Jesus is saying, if you don't have my permission, you cannot go see my sheep. So he takes it a step further to explain that it's not just that he has the authority to walk through the gate, you can't go through the gate without his permission. The other thing is that from the perspective of a sheep, ain't no sheep, I mean, sheep are dumb. Sheep are some of the dumbest animals in the world. It's really funny that God always calls us sheep because he thinks we mad dumb, all right? <laughs> it is what it is. But um, <laughs> just kidding. God thinks you are beautiful and brilliant. I'm recorded. Uh, <laughs> but when sheep enter in, a random sheep cannot just enter into the gate. You cannot just myself and like stumble into a flock. Even who comes in as Jesus's flock must need Jesus's permission. So the first thing is gate is authority. And the second thing is gate is authorization and entryway. Think about it this way. Our nation, our ginormous house has a wall on the border of Mexico. It's actually a fence um, built by a orange man that I will not go into. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so there is a fence, right? Why is there a fence? Why was the fence made? Politically, the reason why we have a wall on the Mexico border is to stop the war on drugs. What is the role of the wall? It is to stop people who are not who are not authorized and permitted to enter in, to enter. So the point of the gate is to stop people from coming in in illegitimate ways and make sure that everybody only comes in through one way, which is the way that they need authorization through. Why does America why is America in a xenophobic phase where everybody is freaking out about un undocumented immigrants in a young country of immigrants? Why is everybody going through a xenophobic phase where every single person in the country is an immigrant, but we hate undocumented immigrants right now? It's because undocumented immigrants are not given full access to the country when they enter in. So people feel cheated. 
If I put it that way, it sounds a little up close and personal, right? Especially because we're an immigrant community. The gate is permission. So when Jesus says that he is the gate, he's saying you need my permission to get in. Any leader, any sheep. So it's not just authority. It's not just that Jesus is the rightful leader. It's not even just that Jesus is the only means to get in. But it's also, the gate is safety and provision. Let's think about a house. When I go home, when I'm, when I'm outside my home, I cannot rest because there is no bed. My bed is in my house. If I want to lay down and be a potato, like I have been for half this week, in my little bed, right? I must go into my home to be in that place of safety. I'm not safe until I'm in my home. My food is in my home. When Jesus says that he is the gate, he is also saying that he is the means to provision and safety. And if we think back to the Mexico border, <laughs> the point of even airports, the point of TSA and customs is to screen everybody who enters in. So why? Once you enter in, you're safer. The point of a gate is not just authorization and authority, it's also safety. But that's not the only imagery that Jesus uses. He also talks about the voice. He says, my sheep hear my voice. Why does Jesus say, my sheep know my voice? Now the context, I know it's, it's, it's an interesting thought, but the context is actually, it makes it clearer. So the Middle Eastern shepherd or the Western Asian shepherd of antiquity, which is the time of Jesus, they were well known for having a personal devotion to the sheep. And shepherds at the time often talked to and sang to their sheep. They actually had a, they usually, most shepherds carried around a short flute and used a specific tune that the flock used as auditory cue to follow. So because sheep, they have like, what is it called? Wool over their eyeballs, right? They cannot see too well. They go blind very easily. They can only see like a couple feet in front. Sheep are actually really like, they are really incapable of living on their own. Um, sheep like, like following the shepherd via visual cues is not enough. So the shepherd would carry around a flute and have a like a specific tune for his own flock that if the flock heard it, their ears would perk up and they would follow that tune even if they couldn't see him, right? Kind of like yodeling. Now, I will not yodel for you. You guys can think about the man who yodeled in Walmart. I will not go there. I will not yodel for you. But yodeling is a call to people or to flock. I'm not going to actually yodel. I'm not gonna make a fool of myself on the camera. Sorry. <laughs> uh, um, there's also like bird calls. 
Specific birds have specific calls, right? You can hear, even if you can't see the bird fl fly by, by their specific tone, by the specific way that they chirp, by the specific way that they call, you can tell the difference between a sparrow and a crow, even if you don't see them. And it's kind of like that. It's kind of like a yodel or a bird call. It's a specific sound that the shepherd makes that only the sheep recognizes as their shepherd. If they hear it, they're like, that's my shepherd. That's my call. I must follow. The, dis the distinction about these two imageries, the gate and the bird call, or the voice, is that there is no force. Oftentimes when we think of dumb animals, <laughs> we think that we need to whip that, not whip them, please don't whip animals. <laughs> Ooh, I'm. Anyways, uh, we think that we need to discipline them or train them or via, via positive or negative reinforcement to have them listen. But the distinction about the gate and the voice is that there is no force. The sheep are following the shepherd of their own free will and he leads the way in front because they have an intimate relationship. Some of you guys have special handshakes for each other. I have a special name for Amy. I don't know why I pointed to Amy. I have a special name for Amy. Um, and these kinds of specific situations, they account for specific relationships and specific amounts of intimacy. In the same way, Jesus is getting at one thing that he is the true owner, that he is the gate, that he is the voice, and that in that, we have a unique relationship with Jesus. They still don't get it though. So he boils it down to this. He says, later on in the chapter, he says, I am the good shepherd. I lay my life down for the sheep. Why does Jesus call himself the good shepherd? Now the word good, we might think it means like pretty or like yummy. I've never referred to Jesus as yummy before. Um, <laughs> or like any sort of, I can't, oh, how to get over that one. Uh, any sort of positive word that you could use to describe Jesus, right? But it's actually not good or kind or sweet or generous. The word good in this terminology for good shepherd is actually noble. And he juxtaposes or puts side by side the good shepherd with the hired hand. Why does he do that? The hired hand was the bad shepherd. Why? Because of a lack of commitment to sheep. When danger comes, the shepherd flees when they're a hired hand. 
And that's what the leaders were talking about in Hanukkah. Because in Hanukkah, as they were like sitting in the rubble of the temple, as they were sitting in the rubble of the temple, everybody is asking themselves, why? Why did this happen in the way that it did? How come? How come? Right? And the thing about the hired hand is that when it came down to the shepherd's danger, when it came down to the shepherd being in a point of danger, the shepherd would flee and leave the sheep behind. Say a wolf came and the wolf was too big and the shepherd got scared, then the shepherd ran away when they were hired. And that's kind of the leaders that were around at the time when Israel fell. They were self-seeking. If we think back to the sermon series on Isaiah and Hezekiah, he sought out his own gain. For those of us who are not muted on the Zoom meeting, please mute yourself so that everybody else can hear well. Thank you. Um, but yeah, the higher hand was a self-seeking shepherd that sought his own gain. Now you might ask, isn't shepherding still a job? It is, it actually was a job, just like how being a fisherman was a job. Being a shepherd was a job. It was in fact a job to some. But here, Christ actually makes the distinction that Christ owns the sheep. He is not hired and his love is not secondhand or self-seeking. Professional here is another word for self-focused. And the goal is to gain and not to lead. Now Christ not only owns the sheep, but he lays his life down for them. He cares for them so much that he's actually willing to die for them. The word for in the Greek is hyper. Hyper is exclusively used in sacrifice. So if you think back to the gate, if you think back to, like, just, just for a second, if you think back to the fact that Christ says that he is the gate, that the sheep hear his voice, and that he is the sacrifice, the first thing that comes to mind for me is why? Was Jesus forced? Is Jesus forced because he's the shepherd? Is he forced? Just like the sheep, Jesus is not forced in any way. He is not forced to die for the sheep just as much as the sheep is not forced to follow him. The next question you might ask is, or at least me, when I hear that Jesus did not, he's not forced, because he actually, he de dedicates a couple of verses to explain. Verses 17 through 18, he says, no, for verse 18, he says, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have authority to take it up again. My first initial re reaction is why? 
Why would you die for sheep? You know why? You know why I would ask that question? It's because sheep are dumb. <laughs> so like, if you really think about it, it's like the president of the United States dying for a dog. Like you get it. To some extent you get that there's like deep love there and you get that there is like something going on there. But at the same time, it's hard to understand why anyone would be like that. At the same time, it's hard to understand why a man would die for a dog. What is Christ going for in this analogy? It's Jesus's profound commitment to the ones he loves. Now that's all good and dandy, but the point of this sermon is the application. Jesus is the gate. Jesus is the specific voice, the specific bird call, and the yodel that I'm not going to do. Jesus is the sacrifice. He willingly makes an irrational decision because his commitment, his commitment to his sheep is so deep. And what is the significance in all of this? There are five points of application. I'm going to blow through them. But I want you guys to listen very carefully because I think this is very pertinent to our day and age right now. The first thing, Christian leaders. There are a lot of Christian leaders in this world right now. There are a lot of Christian leaders that seek their own gain. There are, there are men, there are men, man. There are men that have made millions off of your best life now, off of prosperity gospel. To this day, the biggest church in America is Lakewood Church in Texas, built on the foundation of my life and God is my genie. There are political leaders that create national days of prayer and prayer breakfasts upon his acquittal that use evangelical Christianity as a tool for power. There are leaders, even leaders like me, local leaders that might fail to acknowledge Christ as the gate to life. But if they fail to acknowledge who Christ is, it brings into question the legitimacy of leadership. This is a good litmus test to figuring out whether or not a leader should be a leader. And it's anybody who draws people away from God. Does this person draw people away from God? Does this person draw people towards God's will or their will? Be it the leader's will or the people who are listening. There are a lot of quote unquote Christian leaders in this world, but it's really important to discern between the thief who is climbing up and the leader who is allowed access in. Because there is only one way, guys, to the kingdom, and that is through Christ. If you are being taught by anybody in your life, even the leaders within your families, that there is another way 
to life other than through Christ. It is worth your discernment and your testing. The second thing is, Jesus can lead and he can feed. I'll say that one more time because it rhymes. Jesus can lead and he can feed. The context of this time period, the geographical context of this time period is that Israel is in a desert. When Christ says that he is the shepherd to lead people to work patches of grass and water and back into the home, Jesus is referring to practical leadership. He is offering pasture and refuge in a desert where food and water is scarce, where it is life-threatening. If you are outside of your home for more than a day, you can burn if you get left out in the daytime, especially sheep. Sheep have like an entire coat of wool, but this is still desert. So if sheep get stuck outside of the gate, they can die within the day. What Jesus is saying here, that he is practical, that he is skilled, and that he is courageous in a desperate place like the desert. And that when we recognize his voice and follow him, even if we can't see him with our eyeballs, if we can recognize him and follow him, he leads us to pastures and he leads us to safety. This is very relevant in our day and age right now. We live in life-threatening, actually that's not air quotes, it's true. We do live in a time where there is a, there is a threat on our lives outside of what we can see. A lot of us also have a hard time believing in Jesus because Jesus is somebody that we can't see with our own eyes, just like the coronavirus. We cannot see Christ. And oftentimes that makes us believe in him less. Like he is less real than our homes, he is less real than our schoolwork, and he is less real than our futures. But Jesus actually talks here about how he is a practical leader that leads us through a practical, real desert. Jesus, his intention is not to leave us alone. But the thing is, is that we need to recognize his voice and follow him. What that means is Jesus's intervention in our lives to lead us to pastures and to lead us to safety depends on our willingness to follow his voice. However much you let him intervene in your life right now, that is the extent to how much Jesus can enter in and lead you to pasture and lead you to safety. If you're like Jesus, I'll give you five minutes of my day. That's five minutes of pasture and safety. Jesus, I give you 25% of my future. You can have my Sundays, you can even have my tides, but I'm gonna choose my job. And I'm gonna choose what I do in church. And I'm gonna choose the reason for why I go to church. Then Jesus is allowed 25% of your life of safety and of pasture. And the rest of it is peril. You're out in the desert, you're on your own. Because Jesus does not use force. He requires relationship. Number three, better be safe than sorry. We hear it all the time. 
We hear it more so right now than ever. The whole point of social distancing is if it's gray, stay away. Be safe than sorry. Stay at home. And it's true. Please choose to stay at home if you can for the sake of the elderly people in, in your life. But what is your safety? When we say better be safe than sorry, what is your safety? What is your definition of safety? Who made that definition of safety? The CDC or the Bible? What is your home? How do you discern provision and safety? I wanna remind you guys, there is no safety outside of Christ. Anyone who claims authority on safety and plenty outside of Christ cannot be the fully cannot be the full ruling authority over our discernment, even the government. Now, Christ himself, himself says to follow the rules of government. The reason why our church is also moving online is because the government has advised no groups more than 10. And because we want to honor the government that we live in. And we take that seriously because Christ did. Because even Christ gave to Caesar what is Caesar's. But that does not mean that they are my ruling authority on safety and provision. Nor does it mean that they are my measuring stick of discernment to judge who gives me my daily bread. But especially in this time of hysteria, we might view the New York Times and CNN to be more accurate and reliable than our scriptures. Because right now, our discernment on safety is off. We already know the cue. We already know that we have to be socially distanced. There's nothing real more that we need to know outside of that. And yet we might hold on to the news tighter than the good news. I remind, church, I wanna remind everybody here that Jesus is the only way. He is the practical creator of the universe. And I, I, I believe that on a scientific level, that Jesus is the actual creator of the microcosms and the macrocosms of our world and our universe. Right now, what is your ruling litmus test on your safety and well-being? Are you getting swept up in the test kits that you are judging safety off of CNN? We might follow governmental guidelines in this times, but our lives and our hearts must follow Christ. God says, do not fear. When Peter is drowning, Jesus picks him up because Jesus is floating on the water, <laughs> LOL. And <laughs> he goes, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Now we don't see this anymore, do we? We don't see miracles anymore. This passage offers a little hint as to why that might be so. And the hint in that is that Christ withdraws afterwards. After everything, 
after everything and the whole, like, so basically what happens is Jesus says all these things. Everybody starts flipping out. Everybody's like, yo, we gotta kill Jesus. Like everybody, yeah. He like, everybody starts freaking out, right? And then what ends up happening is Jesus leaves. He stops healing. He stops being present. He stops preaching and he withdraws. He goes somewhere else. This is not about a lost opportunity, but it's about a point of judgment. Revelations 2 says that the lampstand of a city can be removed. I'm not making a theological point, but I am asking a theological question here. And this is the scary question. Could a nation be so utterly godless that it experiences a diminishing of God's activity? Where is the miracle in the Western church? Sixty percent of African Christians, 660 percent of 66.6 percent of 667 million people in Africa go to church because they have been physically healed supernaturally during service. North America, which is the US, Canada, and Mexico, has 229 million people that are Christian. How many of them have seen a miracle? Could a nation be so utterly godless that Christ withdraws? I don't know, but it's clear some people argue, some, some more conservative people are, like to argue that those gifts are done. Healing, gifts of tongue, all of these things, the spiritual gifts are done. But it's clearly not. So it's worth questioning how come that doesn't happen here. What is your safety? What is your discernment? What is more real to you? The amount that you follow the amount that you let Christ in to change your own paradigms of safety and success, that is the amount that Christ can move in your life. That is the amount of control that you're giving Jesus. Because Jesus could force you, but he is not a God that would do that. And the final thing is that there is clearly a flock. If there is a gate, that means that there you, are, you can be in or out. The only way in is Christ, hearing his voice and following him in. Everyone else seeks out their own well-being in this world, but Christ lays down his well-being for you. This also means, because we're sheep and we're dumb, it means that not everybody who is sheep are people that we expect to be sheep. There might be black sheep, gray sheep, brown sheep, White sheep, yellow sheep. <laughs> there are all types of sheep. But we are all in there because we have followed his voice. That means that we are all in one house. It means that we are all in one family.
our brothers and sisters around the world are dying because of the decisions of the Western church. In about seven years, an entire country is going to go under because of climate change. Vanuatu is 90% Christian, but the entire country is going to go under in about, well, it's gonna start in seven years and it, by 25 years in, it's gonna be completely gone. The country is gonna be completely under. And the people in those islands, they are asking the Western church to be one family with them, but we ignore them. In our flock, there are unexpected people. But we don't even need to look all the way near Australia to Vanuatu in Micronesia. We can look right outside our home. There are a lot of people in the body of Christ that don't look like us, that don't talk like us, that might not get along with us. But do you love your neighbor? This is a really important question. Application, leaders, Jesus can lead and he can feed you practically. Better be safe than sorry. What is safety? Christ withdraws. Is that because of our godlessness? And there is clearly a flock and people to follow. That's a lot. But we believe in a God that has passed away and risen again on our behalf for no reason. And because we believe in a God that did that, we can trust and we can hope in a future. From wherever you are listening, we hope you were blessed by this week's message. For more information, check out our website at mbkumc.com.